guys, Anthony Corelli here, formerly known as Santino Morella, and you're watching Joe Tilly Sports coming up! Our special guest on the show this week, Brad Smith, Motor City Smitty. Brad Smith going in, scores! This place is so crazy! Former least great and director of scouting for the Colorado Avalanche. And Jose Garrido from PGA Tour Latino America. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up! Welcome to the program, and we've got a great one for you this week, folks. First of all, our first guest, he is a Leafs legend, born in Windsor, played junior in Windsor and Sudbury, drafted by the Vancouver Canucks, played 10 seasons in the NHL with the Canucks, the Flames, the Red Wings, the Maple Leafs, one of the last helmetless players. He's worked 28 years with the Colorado Avalanche organization. He is currently their director of player personnel. Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Smith, Motor City Smitty. Welcome to the program, Brad. Good to see you again, my friend. Good to have you, Joe. It's always a good honor to see you. How you doing? I'm doing amazing. Yeah, just amazing. Having you on the show is always great, my friend. So uh, you grew up growing up. We touched on this before, but you grew up in Windsor. It seems to me that a lot of folks in Windsor are either Red Wings or Leafs fans, but uh, apparently you weren't. You were something a little different, right? Yeah, I was a Montreal Canadian fan. Uh, I lived and died with my uh, Canadians, and uh, uh, it was uh, uh, I was always a big John Belleville fan, my favorite player. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I love I love the, uh, uh, the, the 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 Canadians. That's for sure. So, like like Belleville, your your uh, your hero there. You had a talent for scoring. Like one season with the Windsor Spitfires, you had thirty seven goals. 90 points in 66 games. Uh, the next season split between Windsor and Sudbury, uh, 39 goals in 66 games. Of course, you also had 222 penalty minutes. Uh, and I clearly impressed the Canucks because they uh, they drafted you. Talk, tell us about getting drafted and, and by the Canucks and making it to the big club. Well, it was, uh, I remember we... Uh... We flew to we flew to Toronto and and uh, I was with uh, a bunch of guys with uh, Al Eagleson and Bill Waters, uh, their clients, and we bust to uh, uh, Montreal and uh, we got the whole Queen Elizabeth Hotel and the next day you know we were in the auditorium and uh, I was kind of shocked because I never heard from Vancouver at all but uh, I was quite pleased I think I went number. 54 overall. Uh, there were, were many, there weren't 33 teams or 32 teams back then. So I was happy to go there. It was, uh, it was actually a pretty good draft. They drafted uh, Durlego in the first round, Stan Smeal and Kurt Frazier in the second round, and then I was picked by them. So that was uh, there was there were some three pretty good players to be behind. That's for sure. 
Yeah, you and Billy D both end up uh, back in Toronto. Uh, that was uh, interesting how that worked out. But uh, I, I want to talk about a big international game that you had uh, uh, with the uh, Soviet uh, team that was the Moscow Dynamo. Um, you uh, now this is a team that you, you're facing uh, Vladimir Mishkin in goal, right? Here's a guy who had shut out the NHL All Stars in that in that uh, Challenge Cup. And uh, you, you get a chance to get play play with the Canucks. You get called up. You uh, you uh, scored twice against Michigan. Uh, not too many guys could. Can you remember that uh, that game? Do you remember that uh, that that uh, yeah, I you got called up and played? I didn't score that many goals, Joe. So I remember them all. Okay, so it's good. <laughs> but uh, the, the funny story behind that: uh, the score was two two, and I remember racing down actually with Rick Vibe on a two-on-one, and, and I still keep on teasing him because he wanted that puck in his wheelhouse, and he was slapping his stick in the ice like a beaver tail. He wanted that puck, but I shot it right off the far post and uh, made it go, made it 3-2. And, geez, not like I think 17 seconds later, I got the puck and I circled the net, and I shot it over Michigan's shoulder to make it 4-2. And it was... I got back to the bench, and Harry Neal goes, what are you going to do if you score another goal? You get a hat trick. I said, I'm going to get the puck and go on the stands and shake hands with every fan. He goes, I might not let you. <laughs> so, but the ironic I thing is, love at the beginning of the third period, Stan Smeal had the puck in the corner, and Michigan uh, lost his balance, and he fell out of the net. We didn't fall out of the net, but he fell down, and he, there was – a four by six opening of wide empty net and Stan gave me the puck just perfectly, but it bounced over my stick or oh. I would score the third goal. So two's good enough against the Russians. And uh, I was very happy and I'll never forget it. Well, you definitely had your moments of scoring. So then, but the career with the Canucks didn't last long. You end up getting traded to Detroit for Rick Vasco. Uh, and uh, you were an all-star with Adirondack. And uh, then you get called up by the Red Wings. And then after getting called up, your first game, you had a Gordie Howe hat trick. Uh, Score no, a goal. I, I got, I, 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 just before that, though, I, went, I got traded to Atlanta. Oh, okay, went to, right. And then, then went playing. to Calgary. And now I'm, I'm a member of the, you know, the first uh, 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 Calgary Flame team. And then, yeah, I, I uh, got uh, traded to uh, Detroit, and uh, I think we played uh, St. Louis, yeah, and I got a goal and assist and got in a fight. So, right, yeah. with Al Secord. Right. So, the, yeah, I set up a goal by Grodnick and, 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 uh, and got the fight with Secord. Not exactly an easy guy to be fighting. Al Secord was, was one of the tougher guys. Of course, you fought all the guys. You fought all the toughest guys in the league. The, I, mean, the, not, yeah. I, did, I don't think I had one easy fight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here we go. Is that McCarty? Or McCray, no, Basil uh, McCray. Basil, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. this is uh, this is from 1986. We're going to talk about this one. Uh, that's November 15th, 1986. Uh, you're fighting with McCray. You racked up 57 uh, minutes and penalties in this game against the Red Wings. That is still a least club record. I think I believe this was your third scrap of the night. Is that correct? I don't, don't really recall. Like Basil, like fought all the time, and he just, just <laughs> d 
you know, and I don't blame Basil. Demers would always send him on the ice to fight, fight me, and, and, and that's part of his job, and I guess maybe part of my job. But, but uh, 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 I, I think that was his second fight, and I think that that, that was I. All I know is I got in a fourth fight because I was kicked out of the game there after the third fight, and then right. And, uh, 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 Higgins came after me off the bench, and he, he tried to sucker me, and he missed. And uh, 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 that was that's why I got yeah. There it goes right there. So there, there's <laughs> so I was right. was right. But you know, uh, I see Basil all the time. Basil works with Columbus. He's a great guy. Uh, played uh, uh, with his brother Chris a little bit in St. Catharines, and. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's all good. So that that's uh, fifty-seven minutes of penalties in that game. That means the three minutes of the game you were on the bench. The other fifty-seven. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you yeah. must have been a tired man. Look at look at this. I don't, this I don't know. I don't know how it works, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, the, the bottom line is we won the game six nothing. So that's a, that's a good part of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, it wasn't. This is. Uh, well, how does how does it feel to have that kind of dis- distinguished record, though, Smitty? Uh, it's probably something I'm not proud of, but uh, uh, to be in the record books, uh, it's always going to be in record books. I'll I'll take it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, now, how many guys, guys can say that they're in the record books? Guys, you know, with Ty Domi and Tiger Williams, and you know. Well, yeah. I mean, you you let's see. You got. Uh, Clark Gilly, Stan Jonathan, Mad Dog Kelly, Joey Kosher, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Domi. Who are, who are the toughest guys? Who is the, who, who do you think was the toughest guy you ever fought? Well, I remember playing an exhibition game when I was we went up to Calgary and uh, we were playing in Thunder Bay against Minnesota, and uh, uh, I never fought this guy. Uh, I know him. Uh, he, he he's older than I am, but. I remember Willie Plett saying, you know, I know you're eager. I know you want to you know, probably show up and, you know, get maybe in a fight in this game and that kind of stuff. And and uh, he said, don't ever fool around with Al McAdam. He said, he's one guy you don't want to go after. But uh, probably the strongest two guys that I, I fought were, uh, I mean, just in strength alone, uh, be Tom Laidlaw and uh, Jay Wells. I remember getting the ball in the corner with Jay, and I was falling over backwards, and he actually picked me up, or I might have really hurt myself. So I give him credit that he helped me out during that fight. But uh, toughness-wise, they be the uh, uh, two strongest guys to ever, you know. But Clark Gillies, obviously, uh, uh, tough. Uh, uh, John Wensink. Those Bruins teams, they were tough. I know the Flyers are tough too, but those those Boston Bruin teams they were tough. Yeah, no kidding. It's funny, Adam McAdam, who went on to become an executive, Laidlaw. He's got his own. Uh, he's got his own podcast now. It's it's uh, which I listen to sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah, strong, strong, strong guy. Now, um, you know, Brophy would. Uh, he's had a job when you were playing for Brophy. What was it like playing for Brophy? I mean, he wanted those tough teams, and and you know, and and uh, you guys played a tough game. Um, 
But you know, it really got the crowd into it, didn't it? When when uh, you know, bro, bro, for tap you on the shoulder and say, "Okay, it's time for a Smitty sh- Smitty shift." You'd get out there, you'd fly down the ice, you'd be a big hit, be a fight, or maybe occasionally a goal too. But uh, you certainly got the crowd going. That, that must be a lot of fun. Yeah, I liked uh, uh, I liked playing for John. Uh, uh, we had our differences sometimes, but I think that's sometimes healthy that. You can sit down with a coach and uh, uh, and and uh, you know clear your differences away. But uh, I remember we used to always get to the games early, and and we I go through one room and his his office door was always open like a crack by three inches, so you could see who walks in. And he'd always walk me. He always called me in the office, told me to sit down, and goes, "You ready? You ready? You ready?" <laughs> like three times. I said, "Yeah, I'm ready, John." He goes, "Good." <laughs> So, but you know, only one time he sent me out to fight. So uh, I, I give him credit. I think a lot of coaches send guys out to fight, which I don't believe in. And uh, uh, only when he didn't even send me out to fight, he just said, "You're starting tonight, and there's no, there's no, there's a message to why you're starting tonight." And I said, "Well, I I got the message." But I said to him back, I said, well, I still don't understand because I start a lot of the games. You start me on right wing. So I don't get what, what is the message? He said, we're playing Detroit tonight and it's payback time. I said, I got you. So that's, that's the only time. Right. He clarified for you. And I said, just the one time. That's hard to believe when you guys, because you guys, uh, I mean, back in the black and blue division, the Norris division, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of action going on in the yeah, game. Yeah, but like, you know, it was, it was always pretty clean. Like it was, you know, there be no. Uh, there be the game almost self policed itself back then. There was no cheap shots. There was nobody spearing anybody or cross checking anybody in the face, and just doing silly little things that they get away with in today's game. Uh, uh, all the fights were were pretty clean. Uh, if you were taking a beating or, or if you were given a beating, you would, uh, uh, you'd stop or the other guy would stop. Uh, uh, I, I think it's, uh, uh, it, it was, I liked the way the game was played back then. So, right. And, uh, kept you honest. Yeah. I kept you honest. Yeah. It just, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it is what it is, but this is, this is a tough guy right here. He is was that McClellan? Yeah, he's left hand. You're left hand. Okay. Third. Right. But I did get him at the end. Though. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was. This is a good scrap. Now McClellan, uh, he was. Uh, he made a difference with those Oilers teams. I remember when one thing they really lacked when they were playing the uh, Islanders that first year is they did lack the Islanders' grit and toughness. McClellan, maybe Cruiser, uh, a couple of guys they picked up uh, in for '83, '84 made a big difference for the for, for that team and, and and gave them a lot of uh, a lot of th- that needed grit that they that they sorely missed at the time you know in that that series with the Islanders but uh, what what were your th- sure thoughts did. about that it sure did. It made them a big, made them a bigger team made them, made them a heavier team uh, uh, and uh, they were good pickups and uh, those Islander teams they were they had a big defense except for a couple guys and uh, made a lot of big wingers and uh, it uh, it was a great equalizer so now you also had, you talked about some of your, your goals earlier. You remember all of them. I want to talk about your biggest goal. It was the 87 playoffs against St. Louis. Uh, Wendell Clark made a beautiful pass to spring you on a breakaway. Here, here's the pass coming up. 
And uh, you know what? You showed us those great wheels, you know. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, Greg Millen, Greg Millen, and this pressure here from the Blues, and now here's Clark with the with the pass up ice spots on the wing. And look at this. Here we go. No. That guy was standing up to his heads in the way, but we're going to watch the replay. A real nice deek to the forehand on uh, on Greg Millen, and that was such a huge goal because it, it was a, it was the uh, the opening bowl goal in that game. It was the it was the clincher. It sent you guys to the second round, and the Leafs had not won a playoff series in nine years to that point. And uh, can you tell it? Take us through that goal. Well, it, it's funny. I just uh, first of all. Clark made the best pass in his career because it was right on my tape. Usually it's off my skate and I got to kick it up or something, but that one was right on the tape. And I there just I, beautiful. I knew what I was doing gonna do, believe it or not, but I didn't think I had to do it this quickly. He came up way too quickly. But that's the move I was gonna pull on him. And uh uh I I'm lucky I caught him just in time. I, I just I just I, I you can almost feel them coming out at me. Right. But, uh, yeah, it was a great pass. It was uh, uh, certainly – it's unbelievable. Everywhere I go still, if I'm in the Tron era, but everybody says, you know, I remember where I was at when you scored that goal. And I said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, we'll never forget. It. So it's it's quite an honor for, uh, 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 you know, a, a mediocre player having a, a – Great career and uh, uh, being uh, remembered uh, as a Toronto Maple Leaf and going to Toronto and uh, everybody is always so nice to me there. It's uh, it was it was a great place to play and uh, 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 I really, I love my time. Well, so now this is uh, this is as I mentioned, it's first time they at least had won a playoff series in nine years. We're going through a similar uh, problem right now. At least did not won a playoff series in seventeen years. We could use a guy like Motor City Smitty here in Toronto uh, to to score a clutch goal because they haven't been able to to, to get it. Uh, what uh, what's what do you think this team is missing? You know, we talked about that. You know, the strap you had with McClellan and the difference that that he made for the lease. But I mean, last year they brought in some some guys with some grit, some older guys. You know, they get Simmons and they get a few guys that you know Jumbo Joe comes in and. But there's always, you know, there's something w- was missing with this team. What do you, what do you think it is? Well, you know, first of all, you gotta give them some credit. They, you know, they, they've had good seasons. They, 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 they made, they made the playoffs, and they just haven't got the breaks in the playoffs to get in the second round. And you know, sometimes the first round is the hardest round to 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 get out of. Then. Then you you go from there, but you know how many game sevens have they lost in all those series? Quite a few, haven't they? Right, uh, right. Uh, uh, Boston you twice. Know, I, I, and and you know, uh, I think they're snake bit a little bit. Uh, uh, I know the one year I'll give an example. We won the cup. Uh, it was game seven against LA. I think we were winning the series three to one, and then they came back, made it three three. We lost in overtime in Game Six. They had all the momentum, but we came back in our building, and they're winning one nothing. Uh, um, this is our, this was the second series, and late in the game, the third period, the guys around the ten minute mark, and the puck went over Patrick, and it was going in the net, and Ray batted the puck out of midair, 
and we came down the ice and score. Now it's so it's a it's a game of inches. It's, yeah, it, 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 yeah. You need you need the breaks, and uh, 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 we came down and scored, making it one one. If they would have scored that goal, we would have the game would have been over. Uh, you know, you would think, but uh, you know, maybe they just need a break. Uh, 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 I, I like their team. I like their makeup. Uh, they got some great players. They got some exciting players to uh, to watch, but. Like anything else, you're great players. To be a great player, you have to take it to the next step. And uh, I know when early in the years with our team and that kind of things, you know, Joe and Adam Foote and uh, Peter Forsberg and Patrick, you know, they took the team to the next step. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, that's what makes you a special player. I think Toronto's got those type of players, and uh, it's up to them to uh, – to put the team on the shoulders and bring them to the next step. Right. I, I look at uh, that series against Montreal last year. And and to me, the turning point, obviously, was the, the injury to Tavares. Uh, here's your number one, number two center, you know, uh, and and uh, I, well, either one or two center, depending on who, who's on the ice at the time and who's yeah, playing sure, well sure. at the time. But, uh, you know, he takes that shot in the head, you know, by Corey Perry. And, uh, and that completely turned the series around. Montreal goes on to make it to the Stanley Cup final after that. And, and you think, you know, how close it was. And, and then you look at the three overtime or the two overtime games and how close the Leafs were, you know, being up 3-1 and then 3-2 to, to wrapping, a, wrapping either one of the, you know, wrapping the series up in either one of those games. You know, you add uh, Tavares to the mix and you just think, man, it's just, it's just a little bit of puck luck, man. If this, Tavares doesn't get hurt. If that puck that uh, bounces off um, Mikheyev just wide goes past, you know, yeah, goes into the net, you know, past Price instead, right? So there's so many close, close calls there. Now, uh, when so when the Leafs are playing Montreal, I mean, I know you, you're you're a Habs fan growing up, uh, but you played for the Leafs too. W- tell me about your heartstrings and who who you're sure. Who you're favoring? Well, in I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest. With you. I'll answer that question. I'll answer it honestly. I was I I'm I'm boring for the Maple Leafs. I'm I'm not a little boy anymore, so I can get away from that. I'm uh, I'm a Maple Leaf fan. <laughs> Wishing the best of luck, and uh, I'd love to meet him in the finals. Right. right, for sure. Wouldn't that be something? And now it can happen again mm-hmm. because. Uh, because of the, uh, the, the, the they're going back to the old divisional matchups. Correct, I want to talk correct. about the comparisons between the Leafs and the Avalanche, right? Because, so, I mean, you guys, uh, that that was a team that I picked for the final. I picked the Avalanche against Tampa in the final. And I thought you were going there, especially after that first game against Vegas. Seven to one, you guys are cruising. McKinnon, Landeskog, each scoring twice. Uh, Grubauer making 25 saves, looking fantastic. Then game two, still in, in Colorado, you guys uh, goes overtime, get a little nervous uh, against a team like Vegas. But Grubauer again comes through with 39 saves. You guys are up two games to none. Look at home and cooled out, but you got to go to Vegas and things. What happened in that third game? What what was the turn, turning point in that series? I don't think we had a good series at all. Uh, uh, even our first game, we was 7-1. to one. I, I think we were outmatched in some areas of the game. Uh, the second game, uh, uh, Grubauer played great. Uh, we got uh, we did got the break that we needed uh, uh, when Ranton scored to to tie it up, and then 
in game three, actually, we had things under control. I think we're winning two to nothing, and the puck was behind our net in the third period, early in the third period, and uh, uh, Gru was out of the net, and uh, he thought we had control of the puck, and he just kind of just taking a bit of a rest on his knees, and the guy got control of the puck and shot it behind the net off Gru Bauer's back and went in and make it two to one, and, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of broke the, the straw that broke the camel's back and uh, we never seemed to recover after that. And, uh, uh, you know, we've made some changes and, uh, you know, we've got a good group of guys, we've got a good, good group, of, a good group, of, you know, people and uh, we've, got a, we've got a great coach and, uh, uh, you know, we're hungry. So uh, uh, we're going to be uh, back this year and uh, uh, I, uh, I like our chances. Yeah, you know, you you uh, you guys, you're, you're the director of player personnel, and and uh, you've improved the personnel in this way for sure. Uh, picking up Darcy Kemper from the Coyotes, I know you cost you some talent and some picks, but it's only a three and a half million dollar cap hit for Kemper, which I think is a bargain. But you, like a lot of other teams, are up against the cap, so you got to do some fancy dancing here. But uh, are you? Are, how do you feel about the acquisition of Kemper, and and uh, do you think this is going to be the difference maker for you? I'm I'm really really excited. Uh, I'm not saying that because I'm uh, I work with hockey team. Uh, uh, I like I like I like I like uh, Bauer. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, he's a fantastic goalie. He was, uh, you know, one of the finalists for the Vesna. But uh, I like the idea with Kemper. He's a big goalie. Uh, 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 we'll see if he's durable. But we gave up a lot, a first-round pick and a young player in, in Connor Timmons. But it, it's a hockey trade, and, and uh, uh, nobody's ripping anybody off here. They got what they wanted. We got what they wanted, and uh, it's going to help them out in the future, and uh, it's going to help our team out in the future. So I'm excited to start the season with Darcy Kemper. Right. Uh, you've also guys also picked up uh, Darren Helm. Uh, Ryan Murray from the Devils, uh, who was with Columbus before that, um, re-signed Jost, uh, uh, and so you made you made. Uh, plus, you got the big deals done for Landis Gog and and and, and Makar, right? So uh, correct. Any other any other moves coming? Do you see any other moves coming? Or no, I think we're, 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 we're pretty good. Uh, uh, um, uh, you know, we picked up um, we picked up more speed and. Uh, uh, you know, a little more hockey IQ. Uh, I, I like our makeup. We, we got a little bigger, a little heavier, and uh, uh, I just think uh, we're pretty well stamped pat until the trade deadline. Uh, I like what we're starting with or the season with, with with the guys we have, and uh, it's going to be an exciting year because, you know, you, you like I said earlier on, you have to take it to the next level sometime, and, 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 and this is the year that we, we need to take it to the next level for sure. Now, I just want to touch briefly on the lease here. We've lost uh, Zach Hyman here in Toronto, uh, bringing in Nick Ritchie. Is he a decent replacement? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, do you think the Leafs have what, uh, have what they need to, to get to that never next level? They also got Mrazek as a good, as a good you know, uh, veteran backup for, for Jack Campbell. Yeah. I guess they'll be competing for the job, but. 
Well, it's good. You want, you want that competition, and you, you, you need that competition. I, I, I believe in, in goal with some teams, and uh, it actually gives the goalies a rest. And uh, when you have that good, healthy competition, it, it's good. They got two good goalies, quality NHL goalies. Uh, uh, you know, m- losing Zach obviously hurts. Like we talked about our our situation, we lost a couple guys too, and and uh, you know. You, Brought in a big guy like Richie. He's a big, heavy player, and uh, uh, he'll help out. Uh, I, I like what they did. Uh, uh, again, you know, they're like us. They're they're they're, they're stuck at the cap, top of the cap, and uh, uh, made it some made some good moves. And uh, we'll see what happens this year. Now, one last question here before I let you go, Smitty. What do you think about the Hurricanes giving uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi the uh, the offer sheet? Uh, it's what does that do? No, I mean, from from a business standpoint in this league. Yeah, it just that's their business. That's not my business. And uh, like I said to you before, I'm more worried about my team than, than their team. But yeah, it's it, it sure makes things it sure makes things interesting. That's for sure. Yeah, it makes yeah it, yeah it it sure does. But, right. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, as far as G- what do you think GMs across the league are doing? Are they scratching their head? Are they going, okay? Does this open things up a little bit, or what is it? Do? It, it it's legally to it's legal move. It's not an illegal move. I mean, it's right in the in the in the in the CBA. So uh, they they really have done nothing wrong, and. Uh, uh, you know, he's uh, an owner that's going to do what he wants to do. And uh, that's, if he's playing within the, in the, in the rules, he's, that's fine with me. So, but it is interesting. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, it does. So uh, you're, spending, you're t- spending your time now in, in, uh, in Washington. That's home base. Are, are you able to work from home most of the time now? Or? Yeah, it's, well, it's been a crazy two years. I mean, we've done everything, uh, uh, you know, on, on Zoom calls and, you know, then a few of us will go into Denver at different times of the year for for meetings for a few days, and and uh, you know, I just I haven't I haven't seen some of our scouts in about a year and a half because uh, uh, you know we haven't been traveling. Uh, I made two trips last year. Uh, we went to uh, Mike Battaglia and I went to uh, uh, watch. Uh, I think there was five college teams in a tournament in. Uh, in uh, North Dakota, so was there for uh, uh, about six days, watched a lot of good hockey, and then, uh, of course, went to the under-18 in Dallas, and we brought a few scouts with us there. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to this year and things start back up to normal again. It's going to be uh, getting the rinks, you know, senior guys and that kind of stuff. And uh, I just hope everything works out smooth this year with everything, and uh, I- I'm excited to start. Well, listen, enjoy this time with Lexi and Laney, and hopefully you don't have to wash too many towels. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, everything's and, good uh, here. I just, uh, who was the golfer you had on? He's coming up, Jose uh, Garrido. Yeah, ask him a question. Like, I was watching the, I was watching the uh, uh, golf yesterday, and yeah, when, it's a, when they're playing in overtime, and there's two players – are are they allowed to concede putts? Uh, you know what? Um, I'm going to ask him that question, 
Actually, why don't we bring uh, Jose in right now, Vic, and we'll ask him, we ask him the question. I'm going to introduce uh, Jose first of all. Uh, Jose Carino from uh, Cali, Colombia. He played on the PGA Tour Latino America, played on the Corn Ferry Tour. He also represented Colombia internationally. He's a tournament business affairs and competitions manager for PGA Tour Latino America. And maybe, uh, Jose, uh, that might be a question that perhaps you, you can answer. Welcome to, first of all, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on here. Oh, your, uh, your audio is not on. Try again. You hear me? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, we got you. Hey, Jose. Yeah. All right. How are you guys? So that, that was just... That was the question from uh, Brad Smith. Welcome, yeah, 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 yeah. It was I heard some of the interview. I'm uh, I'm from Colombia. We don't play hockey over here, but I have a lot of Canadian friends, uh, and uh, I'm fascinated by that sport. So, so the question from Smitty was, uh, okay, so so Deschambeau and uh, you know and and Caton or Caton uh, Patrick. Uh, was it Caden? Canley. Oh no, Patrick uh, Canley. Yeah, Canley. Patrick Canley. Patrick Canley. So they're they're in the playoff, and uh, are they allowed to uh, surrender putts? Are they allowed to uh, to take gimmies? In a uh, the correct. The quick question would be no. Uh, when you're in a you know stroke play competition, even when you're in a playoff, you're playing stroke play. It's not a match play competition, which you are allowed to give putts. Um, so, so the easy response to that question would be no. You got to finish the hole. Okay, there you go. Okay. Listen, I'm Smitty, I want to I, I thank you for being uh, for being on the show, and uh, I'm going to say uh, next time you're in Toronto, uh, let me let me know. We're going to hook up. We're first of all we're going to play some golf, and also uh, we're uh, we're going to hook you up for some great clothing at Classica Imports check it out and go to again and you'll talk to jeff i'll give you the contact information he's got a, a gift certificate for you they've got some amazing italian threads and uh so we'll hook you up well it's great always to be on the show joe thanks yes, for buddy. having me and and now i'm gonna go work out got my rock star group <laughs> right here Sabrina. i'm still working, still working right. out i'm almost down on my plane weight buddy all right. Yeah, me too, man. I've been eating well. That's a big part of it for me, right? Yeah, that's you know, right. You got to eat well. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Jose, have a good day. Yeah. Okay, you, go Leafs, go Abs. Okay, Jose, listen, you know, it's funny. We're, before we got on the air here, we are talking a little bit about your career. You represented Columbia against Canada back in 2004 at the World Golf Challenge. And... Uh, Tell us about what that, what that was like playing in that tournament. Well, I've, I've played, I mean, when you're a golfer, you don't really play against anybody and you're, unless you're playing a match play competition. But I've, I've played with uh, or, you know, with Canadians in the same tournament with many of them. Uh, so, yeah, I do remember we we're talking about the course that we're going to be talking about later on. And, uh, and yeah, that. I remember when I played that event, uh, qualifier for the WGC 2004, we played with a, a couple of uh, Canadians that actually, with us, qualified to the to the tournament. So it was good memories from uh, from Canada. Um, I mean, I went to, you want to talk about Canadian golfers, I went to BYU also where Mike Weir went. 
Um, wow. And I have a few. I mean, in our tour, guys like Corey Connors uh, came through. Uh, you, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll talk about him in a little bit. But I've known plenty of sure. golfers, and and they all are great guys. What uh, now? You let's talk a little bit about your career. Uh, how did you make it onto the tour? How did you start out playing golf in Colombia? It doesn't sound like a doesn't seem like one of the like the golf powerhouses, Colombia, but. Uh, you know, clearly there's, uh, you know, golfers come from all over the world now. So it, it's. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Good question. Uh, golf in, I'm going to say golf in most of Latin America, not, not only Colombia, is, is a pretty private sport. You got to be, you got to grow up, you know, as a member of a private country club. I had the, you know, the opportunity to, to do that. My parents were members of a club in, in Cali, Colombia. And I, you know, I took on the sport early on and, and happened to. I guess, you know, show some talent, be good enough. Played, uh, so played junior golf throughout my, you know, junior career. Got, I got a few scholarships, so I ended up going to the States to play, you know, collegiate. And then when I graduated, I, I decided I'd give it a shot. So I played, uh, I played for the better part of 15 years as a pro. Uh, you know, had a pretty decent career, never, never to where I wanted to get. Uh, but then, you know, when I was, when I, when I, 35, 36, I got married, I was starting to get a little bit away from it. I was coaching a little bit, uh, uh the tour, the PGA tour made me a job offer and yeah, I couldn't resist it. Uh, as a golfer, it's an honor to be, you know, to, to be offered a job by the PGA tour. So I took it, I run with it and I've been with the tour ever since. It's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool gig, I'm sure. Like, uh, tell me about your 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 title as uh, tournament business affairs and competitions manager. What does that entail? Correct. So, so the PGA Tour has has several tours. Uh, some of them are international tours. Uh, we used to play. We used to have the China Tour, uh, PGA Tour Canada, Mackenzie Tour, and Latin America. So, obviously, with my background, experience, and with my connections and, and the people I know and uh, I'm I'm based out of Latin America. I'm I'm partly you know partly in in charge of business affairs in the region, uh, and I do also put on uh, competitions. Uh, so the PTA tour has a has a good uh, structure uh, into where they they fit you. I mean you get you get pretty much trained for a little bit of everything, so you are able to do everything if it comes to it. So I, I have a I have a few hats on me, uh, business affairs, competitions, rules official also during the competition. So, so it's a very interesting job, and I love it. Tell us about the tour. Uh, when does it run? How many events have you got going on? And uh, yeah. So the PGA Tour Latin America has been started on 2012. Actually, I, I used to play back then. Uh, and then now for for the next season, this season is pretty much over. The, the official season's over. We have one more event, which is uh, going to be played in Mexico at El Tigre, the Deb Series Final, which is sort of a, a secondary branch of the PGA Tour Latin America. But then next year, we'll, we'll have Q schools uh, qualifying tournaments uh, around November, if everything, if everything works out, that's the plan. And then we are planning on starting probably December and our season goes from December 
to June 2022. So it's sort of a wraparound uh, and then off season so our players can, you know, go to play somewhere else, get prepared for uh, for Q schools. Uh, I mean, the, the PGA Tour model right now, it kind of wraps around through through, through the years, it's not a you know it's not a calendar year itself, um, but that's that's where we are right now. So right now we are on a break. We are waiting to play this this last event in Mexico to get our you know our, our field or our membership uh, started for next year, and then we'll have Q schools and then we'll run from there. Well, let's talk about this uh, the, the 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 finale here in uh, Nuevo Vallarta, Mexico, El Tigre Golf Course. Uh, for the Dev Series final, um, I've, I've seen the course. Uh, I've been we're, we're going to get a chance to play there this this winter. Uh, beautiful course. I mean, you know, uh, tell us about the Le, Le, Le Tigre. It's designed by uh, Robert yeah, Van Hagee so, and uh, Rick Burrell. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got a chance to play Le Tigre back in in 2004, like I said, and and I do remember it's a it's a championship golf course. Um, a lot of you know a lot of resort golf courses nowadays are, let's say, easy. I mean, they're you know they're resort or amateur golfer oriented. This one is a, I remember it is a challenging golf course, um, and and yes, we were when we started looking for a venue to play this event, uh, and I mean I got to speak to to Steve, the director over there, Steve Johnson, and he showed interest. I. I mean, I, I run with it also. I loved it. Uh, we wanted to do it in Mexico. I've been there, for, I mean, fortunately, so I do know the place. I knew I do know the facilities. Uh, I, I do know the destination. So so I am really looking forward to being there, to putting on the event, which is, you know, on the works right now. And then, and having all of the players come and, you know, come and enjoy the, the golf course and, and play in a – PGA Tour Latin America, you know, sanctioned event as a qualifier as a Dev Series final. Right, certainly looks like a tiger. Uh, Seven thousand two hundred and thirty-nine yards, par seventy-two. Twelve holes feature water. Uh, considerable amount of water in some cases. Uh, now, is this kind of uh, kind of course is going to require some careful golf for uh, for some of the tour players? It is, uh, you know. But the good thing, or the the interesting thing about courses like this, which are, you know, we call them championship golf courses, uh, for this event, which is a qualifier, I mean, so the guys go there, we're going to have probably approximately 80 players on the field, which, you know, play the event through several, you know, qualifying qualifying events through the region. And these guys are playing for for spots. So, so you're playing to, you know, to get into the top five or top 10 or top 15, depending on, you know, how you do it. But it's not, it's not a normal or regular event where you're trying to make the cut, where you're, you know, 144 guys playing for 65 spots. This is an 80, 80 player field and you're trying to get basically top 10. So strategy can be a little bit different, you know, cause you're, you're really, I mean, even though you're trying to win, because there's a little, bit, there's a purse involved. Uh, you you don't want, I mean, you don't want to jeopardize your your card or your membership just because you're you're not going to win. So so it's a little bit different. It's it's great, uh, and and the players are going to love it, and you know, and hopefully we get a, a good amount of uh, amateurs to join us that Wednesday during the pro am. So they can, you know, get to see firsthand a little bit of golf and enjoy the golf course.
Well, yeah, that'd be such a spectacular event to be at, no doubt about it. So, um, you know, so I guess it's, the idea is not to go for it every shot. Like, you know, you're going to pick your spots. I was just watching Tiger at the, when he, the record setting U.S. Open yeah, just last night. And, and uh, you know, there was on, the, you know, there's one case on 18 where he's going for it and going for it down to his last ball, made it. <laughs> Thank God he made it over because I didn't, nobody realized until later that he was actually down to his last ball that day. Um, but, you know, the, like any event, I guess you, you, you pick your spots. Top 10 is a good place to sort of make your goal, as you said, perhaps. Now, tell us where you go from the, from the, how do you get from the, from the PGA Tour Latino America to, to the PGA Tour? I think there's a, the Corn Ferry stop in between. Is that what happens? Correct. So, so the PGA Tour has, you know, has a has a structure, uh, and the, the tours, let's call them at the, you know, at the international tours are sort of the, the first step. Um, so Q School nowadays only gets you into Corn Ferry. Back when I used to play Q School, used to be Q School for the PGA Tour. Now the game has grown so much that actually Q School gets you through Corn Ferry. So, so players that are starting their, you know their career or their path to try to get to the PGA Tour have to start somewhere. Uh, so you either pick, some of them pick either going to Q School, which is, you know, a, a one shot in a year sort of thing, or you try to play one of the international tours and, and try to finish, you know, in those top spots, uh, depending on, you know, on, on, on the year or the regulations, which, which do evolve through the years. Uh, we. Latin America nowadays gives five memberships uh, at the end of the year to the Corn Ferry, like, you know, a certain status and then some other five with some different status. So so we give out pretty much 10 memberships at the end of the year to the Corn Ferry. So players that do play on, on our tour are aiming to that, probably finishing top 10 or, or top 20 gets you into some sort of, you know, first stage or second stage or third stage of Q school for the Corn Ferry. So people are just trying to, to move up the, the stairs. Uh, PGA Tour Latin America is, is th that first step. Players, I mean, uh, we have had plenty of guys. I mean, they're, as a referent now, nowadays, which is, has become pretty, pretty well known, guys like Harry Hicks. Uh, which you know, a couple of years ago finishes first in our in our money list and in their points list. Sorry, and then moves up to the Corn Ferry and you know flies through it, gains his card, top 25, moves up to the Corn Ferry to the PGA Tour, and now is a solid member. So, so nowadays professional golfers sort of have to be organized and uh, and and plan and plan this. Usually, good players do go through the system fast, quickly. I mean, their game. Is good enough to for them to move up like that. Guys like Corey Connors, like you said from Canada, uh, they they take advantage of the system. It's not perfect, but but we tell everybody, we tell our players, we we're not you know we're not guaranteeing a perfect system. We're guaranteeing you an opportunity to get to the PGA Tour. So so if you want to get there, you got to start somewhere, and PGA Tour Latin America is one of those steps. Right, we hit we every we all get opportunities in life, and we can take advantage of them, of them or not. Like you talked about, Corey Connors, young fellow from Listowel, Ontario. Listowel, Ontario. Now he so he he's a guy who uh, uh, split his time between uh, Latin America tour, tour and uh, McKenzie tour, 
and now and now he's you know he's uh, an Olympian playing in the FedEx Cup Championship. He's got a PGA Tour win under his belt. Thirteen top ten finishes. He's tied tied for eighth at the Masters this year. Top fifteen at the Open Championship and the PGA Championship. Now he's off to the Tour Championship. Twenty second this past weekend. Ranked twentieth in the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, that, that's pretty impressive. You've also got a couple other Canadians here. A guy named Drew Nesbitt. He's a 26-year-old from Toronto. He's ranked uh, eighth on your tour. Uh, he's got four top 10 finishes. Miles Creighton, a guy from Dig Digby, Nova Scotia. He's ranked 40th on your tour. Uh, Hugo Bernard from Gaspé, Gaspé, Quebec, ranked 71st. Derek Gillespie, who I've known a uh, long-time uh, golfer here from the Oshawa area, uh, ranked 101st on your tour. So how does a, a young golfer uh, from Canada or, or anywhere else, uh, an aspiring young gal, golfer, end up on, on PGA Tour Latino America? So how do you get to, into qualifying school? How does that procedure uh, unfold? Yeah, so, so yeah, for example, Corey. Corey Gonzalez is a perfect example. I mean, he played, he obviously, you know, I don't know if he still lives in Canada, but he used to. So he, he took advantage of, of both tours. He had two shots. He played the Latin America tour, you know, from from certain certain time of the year, and then when we were done, he would go and play Canada. So he had two shots, I believe. So even though he's an alumni of both tours, because he played a certain amount of number of tournaments in both tours, uh, I can't remember. But he got he he went to final stage of Q school through I think it was through us, uh, uh, but I might be mistaken. It, it might have been through Canada, uh, through Mackenzie. And then through the you know, final stage of Q school uh, for the corn ferry, he gets in the corn ferry and then he moves up. So, so a guy from Canada that wants to get to the PGA Tour usually will do that. I mean, the most logical way for a Canadian to get there is probably play the McKenzie Tour and then move up. He doesn't have to leave his country. That's, a, that's, a very, that's an important advantage, I mean, if you're a Canadian. But again, if, you, if you're interested in traveling, uh, Want to do you know a lot of guys want to do that a lot of guys play golf because they want to play somewhere else so so if you want to you know look see the world play latin america different countries different cultures different languages different type of golf courses uh latin america is a great tour to play uh you'll get to play you know eight or nine different countries through the region uh it's a life experience also you know apart from a great tour and a, and a great opportunity so play one of these tours, finish, you know, top five or top 10 or top 20, and then see what you get with that, what benefits you get, and then move up, take advantage of that opportunity, and then move up and get to the PGA Tour. It's very, it's very clear. It's very simple. If you, if you do make enough birdies and you play good enough, you're going to get to the PGA Tour eventually. Yeah, make those birdies and it works out. I mean, I, I listen, there's nothing wrong with, with playing a course like uh, – El Tigre in, uh, in January, which I'll be doing, which is going to be fantastic. I mean, you know, that's, it's not a, not a bad thing at all. I mean, I know it's, a, you know, it could be cost prohibitive for some, but I mean, it's like, how much, how bad do you want this thing? You play your, you know, you play the uh, Latino America tour in, in, in the winter, you play the McKenzie tour in the summer, and you're probably going to polish your game, get to a point, and maybe you could, you could be the next, the next Corey Connors. I want to talk about some of the players that you've got on the, on the tour right now. Uh, the top player this year, he's uh, he won the Order of Merit, uh, Brandon Matthews, uh, American from uh, DuPont, Pennsylvania, uh, Tour Player of the Year. He earns his full exemption on the Corn Ferry Tour. 
He had two wins, three top five finishes, and seven starts. Very impressive young man. I want to talk about this. Like last year at the uh, Argentine Open, he found himself in a three-hole playoff. He needed an eight-foot putt for birdie to extend that playoff. Now, a win would have earned him a spot in the Open Championship, uh, one of golf's four majors, of course. He was about to attempt that putt when a fan called out in his backswing. He missed the putt, lost the event. But let's pick up the story here from WBRE Sports in Pittston, Pennsylvania. Made sure Pick. that he understood um, that I wasn't upset. Um, made sure that he had a, a positive experience out of it all. Um, and just made sure that he didn't feel um, any bad feelings from what happened because people with Down syndrome are, are really incredible people. Um, I grew up around several. And um, it made my day to see um, the smile that I saw on his face um, after I gave him a hug and with love in the ball. And, you know, that was just as good as a win for me. You know, that's such a beautiful story. I mean, uh, you know, thinking about think about this, right? You're putting for a chance to go to the Open Championship and somebody calls out in your backswing. And only the real only reason this young fella called out is because he was a big fan of Brandon and wanted him to do well. And uh, rather than losing your mind and, 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 and wanting to, you know, uh, you know, destroy this fan somehow, uh, you know, he, he turns around and hugs him and, and signs a ball for him. And pretty awesome story anyway. Um, and what goes yeah, around I comes was, around uh, because Brandon, yeah, tell us, go ahead, sorry. I was, no, I was, I was actually there. I mean, it was a two, I can't remember, it was a two or three hole playoff um, uh, or a four hole playoff. It was an, it was a, you know, a lengthy playoff. And, and, and in one of those holes, we had to move to 17, which is a part three. And I was actually standing on the green when that happened. Uh, uh, the other player, Ricardo Celia, made a, made a bomb, made a, I don't know, 40 footer or 50 footer for birdie. Um, and Brandon, you know, which had hit a, you know, a much better tee shot. Cause he's a long hitter. It was a, it was a hard part three and he had about an eight footer, like you said, for birdie. Um, and yeah, when, when he, he took his putter back and right before he came, you know, came and made the stroke, somebody yelled, nobody knew what was going on. It, it, it was very odd. It was, it was very odd and it was a very odd finish to a very big tournament an important opportunity. Um, anyway, the tournament, you know, it, it was over with. And then after, after the after after this happened and Brandon was actually in the locker room about to leave the club, um, somebody brought it to our attention. I mean, we were finding out what happened, who yelled, if it was intentional. I mean, there was nothing we could do about it anyway, but we were trying to find out. And then we, we you know, we encountered this situation. It was this the case about this, you know, this kid uh, with this disability. And uh, and so we, we told Brandon about it. And, and instead of leaving right away, you know, mad or whatever, you know, any, it would, it would, it would have been very understandable. He told us, you know, I want to, I want to meet the guy. I want to, you know, take me to him. I want to introduce myself. And that's what he did. He went during the award ceremony. Those pictures that you saw were during the award ceremony around the 18th green. Uh, he went over there, you know, went to his bag, took some gloves some balls and made, made sure the kid knew or the gentleman knew that, that he was fine with it. Uh, Cause obviously after it happened, a lot of people, you know, 
sort of, you know, told the kid he had done something bad, very bad. Uh, and Brandon made sure to, you know, he took the time and went and talked to him and told him, you know, everything was okay. And, and it was great. Brandon is a, is obviously he's, he's a great player and, and he's a great guy. I mean, we couldn't be happier to have a, a number one order of merit player winner represent us in the next level. And he is, yeah, he is very, uh, he's very deserveful of this opportunity. And, and I'm sure it's, I mean, great things are going to happen to him. Well, we, we certainly hope so because he's a class individual. No, no question about that. And, and, and the next stop PGA tour, because he's on, in the corn ferry now. Uh, just want a, a little golf question for you before we let you go. Uh, yesterday, uh, we wrapped up the uh, BMW championship and, and, uh, what do you think of that? First of all, what happened to uh, Deschamps? First of all, how do you describe what's what's going on with Deschambeau? He's been up and down like a yo-yo, but then he shoots that sixty on the on the Friday. What what is what, what is this guy all about? What do you think? How would you define Bryson Deschambeau? You know what? I've, he's he's. A, I mean, he's just a special guy. I mean, a character, a different guy. He he. He, you know, he does what he what he says he's gonna do. He he he's not the you know he's not the typical player, uh, conservative, quiet. He's more extrovert. Uh, he goes about things his way. He's always done that. And you know, some people like it, some people don't like it. But hey, it's worked out great for him. He's a great player. Uh, he's got a big fan base, so he's he's been great for the game. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, he's. He's one of those guys. I mean, love him or hate him, he's a great golfer. Yeah, he sure is. So, but now, what do you do? How do you come come back from that though? Like, so he's got a situation where he had like four or five chances to put that tournament away, and uh, you know, and then they go to play and in look in regulation. Then in the playoff, he had a chance to put away again. He had another chance to put away again. What do you think is going through his mind after after letting his opportunity slip you away? No, I don't. I think as a golfer, uh, and, and I think golfers will tell you this, uh, the good thing about golf is that, it, I mean, you play so much. I mean, these guys play pretty much every week or pretty uh, pretty much every other week. There's always next week. So well, a lot of times these top guys, one of the things that sets him apart from everybody else is that, I mean, he's not going to spend too much time thinking about it. He's, he can't wait to tee it up again next week at East Lake or this week at East Lake. Uh, so if anything, I mean these these sort these sort of things fire that fires you know puts more fire in their in their willingness to win. Really? So I'd be I mean yeah. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if he wins this week because he's got that under his belly. He wants he wants revenge. Let's call it that way. He's he's a great player and and, and defeat defeat is for the weak, but. The, for these top athletes, you know, not only golfers, but for for top athletes, failing, it's just a, it's just fuel. It's just fuel to make you better. Right. Well, I thought it was pretty impressive, eh, when he went into the water in the playoff and and uh, and still managed to, to to grind out a par, you know. And Cantley, Cantley, you got to give him credit because he won that tournament too, right? He he he. Uh, you know, he. I, you can. Some people can say that Deschambeau lost it, but you can also say that Cantley won it too, because he he played some dynamite golf down the stretch when he had to. So, great tournament, a lot of fun to watch, and and uh, so they'll be uh, at El Tigre watching some great golf too uh, in, in October, and and looking forward to uh, 
being down there in in the in the winter. And also, uh, I just want to say, uh, Jose, uh, thanks for being on the show. And and the same thing stands for you. And next time you're in Toronto, uh, give her a call, Jeff uh, Jeff Skirka over at uh, Classica Imports, and and we'll we'll hook you up with some really nice clothes. And uh, thank you for being on the show. And good luck with the tour. Things are moving right along, and uh, it's pretty exciting. And and we want to see some more uh, more Corey Connors coming out of PGA Tour Latino America. Yes, you do. Uh, you know, you mentioned you mentioned a, a guy like Drew Nesbitt. Drew Nesbitt is going to be playing in the Corn Ferry next year uh, through us. Uh, he earned it, and uh, he's a, another one of those guys. He's as as good Canadian. He's lefty, uh, and 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 right. he's a guy to watch out for because he's. He's driven. He's very good. So he, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Drew on the PGA Tour, you know, 2023. We're looking forward to it. All right. Thank you, Jose. Appreciate you being with us today. You got it. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Slow play. It's a slippery slope. First, you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, look quickly and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA. Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. This is Ken Fukushima, black belt judo instructor. You're watching Joe Tilly Sports. Coming up. All right, time now for my Coastal Swiss Pick of the Week. You know, the stakes races are starting to heat up at Mohawk. 
Two-year-old Colts, Colts took center stage in two divisions of the Nasagawea Pacing Series. Now, this is the fourth race, second division, $140,000 for the rookies. Uh, wearing my six-shooter, the eight-to-five second choice broke stride early. Better have my money. The four-to-five favorite made his move at the half and would take charge heading into the stretch. But Bob Loblaw and Sylvain Filion in the buggy found some room on the outside, and he charged hard up the wire. Look at this on the outside, the two-horse. Just nipping, better have my money in a photo. So what's really cool about this is Ken Middleton, who calls the action in Mohawk, is the trainer and co-owner of Bob Blah Blah, and he'll be joining us on the show next week, along with future Hall of Famer Jody Jamison to preview the North America Cup. You don't want to miss it. This was a $15 winner. The 268 Triactor returned $225. By the way, I correctly picked Prohibition Legal in the internal Camnation stakes, and she won easily at one to nine. This week, some serious money on the land of Mohawk, several big stakes, including the Canadian Pacing Derby, the Maple Leaf Trot, and I'm going to the Roses or Red Final, and I like James McDonald and so much more to bounce back against Rock Nation, a $5 win place bet. My bankroll is now back up to $180. This bet's going to cost me $10. For all the racing updates, visit Costa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options and check out the latest stake schedule. The Canadian women's hockey team appears to be charging toward a gold medal at the Women's World Hockey Championships in Calgary. They will almost certainly steamroll Switzerland in the semifinals to set up another showdown with the Americans in the final. The way this team is playing right now, I can't see them losing. They, they with the Americans 5-1 to one in the round robin. They've got it all defense, goaltending, scoring. These gals can play. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's going to take some work for the Blue Jays to make the playoffs. As of Sunday, they are sitting six games out of a playoff wildcard spot with 33 games to go, three teams to pass. It was nice to see Jose Barrios get himself back on the rails. He scattered six hits over seven innings with 11 strikeouts for his ninth win of the season against the Tigers. Two-to-one victory. He was He was winless in his previous four starts. Jays take two games out of three against Detroit. Now they're back home for three against the Orioles and three against Oakland. A chance to pick up some ground there. The Argos had their game with the Edmonton Elks scrapped because of a COVID outbreak with the Edmonton club. Hard to believe that some pro athletes have not been vaccinated at this point. Meanwhile, Dane Evans threw for a couple of touchdowns to help the Ticats get off the schneid. Stephen Dunbar Jr. with the catch in his CFL debut in a 27-10 win over Montreal. The Ticats, Owls, and Red Blacks are all 1-2. and two. The Boatmen are 2-1. and one. Yeah, nice catch by the rookie in his CFL debut. Now, if Manny Pacquiao has indeed fought his last fight, he leaves the game as one of the absolute greatest of all time. A man who won titles in eight weight divisions. Think about that. Eight weight divisions. The Pac-Man was a champion till the age of 43. 62 wins, eight losses, two draws, 39 knockouts. He never ducked anybody. A humble champ who started boxing to put food on this table for his family. Some of his wins against have come against surefire Hall of Famers. Oscar De La Hoya, Ricky Hatton, Marco Antonio Barrera, Eric Morales, Miguel Cotto, Shane Mosley, and Juan Manuel Marquez. A guy last just eight times in 72 fights. Did you know that their legendary Ray Robinson lost 19 times? Manny turned pro as a light flyweight, wrapped it up as a welterweight. Yes, he convincingly lost to your Dennis Ugas, but Ugas is an excellent fighter, a naturally bigger man in his prime. Now, Pac-Man is likely going to be president of the Philippines. Yes, he's that popular in his home country, and the sport of boxing will miss Manny Pacquiao. Time now for my 
weekly home video. First of all, we want to say happy birthday to our good friend Robin, who's reached a very cool milestone. So Penny, Claire, and I went golfing with some other couples to Mont Tremblant last week. Labette and Lamette, uh, two awesome courses. Labette's beautiful. But the video I want to show you was from the backyard of our condo. Here you go. Roll it, Vic. How are you? Welcome to Mont Tremblant. This is good. There's the mama deer, and right there is Bambi. Hey guys, how are you? All right, now we close with a look at the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. I highly recommend them all. A reminder that the show is now also available on Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcast, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV. Thanks once again to Motor City, Smitty, and Jose Garrido for being on the show today. And uh, thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when legendary harness driver Jody Jameson and Ken Middleton join the program. We'll see you then. This is Shadi Anahas, Olympic Judoka, and Joe Tilly's coming right up. Get Aldo at Remax Crossroads. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Call 416 Get Aldo or visit www.getaldo.com to find out what next level real estate looks like. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did 905-686-5678. Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public, and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington, and more. Our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more. Make your next getaway a spectacular one at this luxury cottage on Rice Lake near Butley from Verona Real Estate Group. Perfect for a large or extended family retreat, an ideal location for any corporate morale-boosting getaway, employee bonding session, a week here, and you're set. A beautiful, spacious building for up to 10 guests, featuring five bedrooms, three and a half baths, state-of-the-art kitchen facilities, and more. Enjoy swimming, 
excellent fishing options just an hour and a half from Toronto. Book for any and all seasons. Fully winterized, ice fishing, cross-country ski trails, and downhill skiing available nearby. Book today by calling Amir at 647-657-6571 or email amir at veronarealestategroup.com.